Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. That one worked. That was mm. good. We like okay. to party. We like. Mm-hmm. We like, and, like to party. Yeah, we have a lot of, we got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're going to jump right in. Did we name the island? We didn't name the island. I don't think so. I do not have a name for the island. In the extreme southern seas of Sphere, we come across a small spot of green. It is not far from the mainland by most skyship standards, unless, of course, you are desperately low on fuel. From above, it looks like a grassy, windswept wonderland. Except, of course, for the fact that you are in the middle of the sea, surrounded on all sides by stretches of churn. This is a dangerous place for any sailor. It would be a place that people could not make a life were it not for the fact that it is sticking up out of the sea, sitting high over the waves which crash against rocky cliffs. This is a place that would not exist as an ecosystem were it not for the introduction of skyships. It was simply a place where grass lived. Who's to say how it originally climbed up here, how it was nurtured? Perhaps it had something to do with the small pond that developed. Perhaps it had something to do with seeds carrying themselves over wind and waves. Whatever it is, it was a place that, on the way to building their cold and dangerous Saratura. It was a place that some member of the Red Feather Syndicate looked down at, saw not for its beauty, but for its profit potential. If there was grasses there, they could tend something. If there was green, it could be devoured and eaten and turned into cash. And so, this green expanse that has high rocky cliffs on all sides now has dots of white running around it. Large bodies that move together. Sheep tended by a very small and quiet population with a few skyship docks thrown in. This place is not visited except for a few times of year 
after the sheep are shorn and their wool is ready to be sold. The other resource that is here because of the grassy lands is, of course, peat. And that is what brings us to the crew of the Uhuru. We can see over the boggy, grassy peaks and hills of this land, there are pirates hard at work with shovels. Peat is a very renewable resource on Sphere. The rapid changing of the seasons makes it so that grass dies and is reborn quite quickly, allowing thick layers of peat to build up just as quickly. And this is where we see Jonnet Kessler and many other members of the Uhuru crew on a dig. So Tyler, the question that I have for you right now, the goal is the Uhuru needs to dig up a bunch of peat. Uh, you need to dig up peat so that you have enough fuel to get yourselves to the next port and, you know, hopefully more because anything could happen. You could be blown aside by a storm and suddenly need way more fuel uh, than you had. Um, especially you as a navigator, if you were blown off course, if something goes wrong in the charting, the fuel supply that you pick up here is going to be really important to you not having killed everybody. Um, so whether or not this is an operation that, uh, the crew would think of as Jonnet's responsibility, Jonnet, I imagine is feeling a little bit of the heat of this. Yeah. Uh, so in digging up this peat, I kind of wonder what is Jonnet doing? How is Jonnet like really trying to make sure that this is a success? I feel like this is we're going into the earth. Jonnet has historically been one to channel earth magic. And I feel like this is something that he feels the pressure. He knows this is important, but he also feels like if there's anything that like I feel like I can do this. He feels like he can do this. And so I think he's probably where there are people like digging. He's actually like, y'all continue digging. Do your mm -hmm. thing. Like more power to you. I'm going to go over here um, for a second. Nobody follow me. Don't worry about it. And he's kind of like now like putting his like essentially like trying to like sense into the ground for deposits of peat. Mm -hmm. And if he's able to to sense something, then he might do we might like do a roll or something to maybe see if we can just like jettison it out of the ground. <laughs> I would actually love and I will grab some dice. Y'all. I would love for Jonnet to roll for that sensing. Okay. Um okay. So this is going to be a magic roll. You've got your character sheet pulled up, Tyler, correct? Uh, of yes. Course. All right. Aha. Oh, I made a millinote last time we did it so I can have quick access. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> folks, we do need to, at a point when it is not an emergency, uh, to get more content, sit down and finish building these characters at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, get there. We'll get there. Yeah. We might, that might be part of uh, our drive, Nathan, is uh, figuring sure. out cool abilities for Oromar. Uh, all right. Uh, what is your magic stat? Uh, my magic stat is three diamonds. Perfect. So here are three diamonds. Thank you. Um, this is definitely a, a low stakes roll. Um, it is perceiving the earth with magic. I am going to say that that is hard, generally speaking. 
James, I don't know how to read these dice. <laughs> so <laughs> just just roll them. Yeah. Okay. James. James. He gave me these and I'm like, I don't know what any of these mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just handed you up. It's candy. And I need to <laughs> just looking at completely. Yeah, I was, dice I was like, I spent years being like, yeah, I can read. I can read a dice. I know this. I know I these little it. bursts mean. Got the this fuck? in one. <laughs> oh yeah, and maybe you, there'll be a custom dice manufacturer. We can speak um, to. It looks like you've got two successes and a fate. Um, so, Ooh, yeah, weighty. Yeah. Um, so essentially. With, with a roll like that, uh, Jonnet's eye opens up. I think I really like the, the, the tactile way that you have described the earth magic that you've been doing. Uh, tell me, when Jonnet is trying to like read the ground, how does he do it? If it makes sense in the world, like, I think there's like, there are planes of grass, but mm-hmm. like, Let's say that there are scattered rocks throughout the plains. And um, I think Jonnet says, like, all right, I'm going to take a walk. Nobody follow me. He starts walking. And he's just like, he's never really done this before. But he's just like, wait, what if I... And he goes up to, like, one of the rocks. And he just, like, kind of knocks on it. And he's like, well, that didn't really do anything. And then he goes to the next one. And he's like, he knocks on it. And then, like, there's... He does like like two or three times, and then there's just like he knocks on one, and there's just a level of resistance in the knock where it's just like denser, it's more bassy, and it's like there's something underneath this. This is like connected to something. This is like above something. The area here is more dense, so peat. I yeah, I really like this. I think what we're going to go for this then is your eye is your eye opens up and like uh knocking on the rock whether whether you're doing it with like bare knuckles or if you've got like some kind of tool or, or something i think like we see waves of sound yeah, and vibration it. reverberating through the rock and like melding into the earth and i think like it's the sort of thing like you open your eye and you close your your regular eyes and we can see like light reverberating through those vibrations and being answered back with like the vibrations of the earth and you are just moving from rock to rock and like slowly uh in the you know animation that we're, we're seeing this like points of the darkness are lighting up until something reverberates back differently and that is the density of peat and i think you you are so successful in this I want to know what does Jonnet do to set off vibration within a bunch of rocks at the same time to get answered back to like map out uh, the peat that is formed in an area. All right. Well, in order for this to in order for this to like be thing, drywall has to be uh, a thing in, in Skyjacks. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever, whatever. There's drywall. Plaster, which <laughs> recently betrayed me yes. as a homeowner, was never really a thing. We went to drywall real quick. <laughs> um, he's like knocking around, knocking around, and then he knocks on one. He feels that uh, sort of that feedback, like that that 
uh, response. And he's like, found the stud. And he like takes out like the hammer side of like the Kasari Gama. And he just like pick, picks it up and then just like slams it down. And like it like reverberates like out um, and kind of like <laughs> feels like uh, Assassin's Creed where you like chart yeah. the chart the area yeah. and I, it's like bing, 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 bing. I kind of think mm-hmm. you you found just a, a rock that was like this really solid piece of bedrock that yeah. connects to the entire structure of this place and so like you can see you get the shape of the bedrock and in the gaps in that shape you can assume that it is like soil peat and water so like that maps out enough of it that you have an extremely clear image of where the the peat deposits are and the places that you will have the easiest time digging at them it's at this moment i think jonnet you get maybe a little indication like like the hairs on your neck standing up on end a little bit the feeling that you are being watched i think <laughs> he like slams it down kind of gets a read of the land has like a quick like nice like like you getting the, you getting the hang of this kessler and then that is immediately followed by that the hair raising on the back of his neck and so he draws the the blade side of the kasari gama and kind of like looks over his shoulder and I'm assume I don't does, should I roll for perception or uh, you don't need to roll no. for perception. You whirl around, look over your shoulder on the top of one of the hills. Uh, it it's almost like eerily beautiful in a way. Um, the sun is like peeking through the clouds uh, that are rolling over like the the beautiful green grassy hills. This area is like very misty because it's so close to the sea and you can see above that mist, you know, looking almost gold because the sun is shining on it so brightly. An eye that is just floating above the mist and Suddenly, it feels like you are thinking through sludge. There are thoughts that are coming to you that that are trying to insist that they are very important, but it is really hard to grab onto them. And you hear words, and it sounds almost like someone is talking to you when you are in a pool just beneath the surface of the water, or right after you have left a very loud concert. If you're just like me in my everyday life, sometimes you can barely understand or hear the person talking to you. <laughs> what do you do? How do you react to that? How far away is the eye? I Like it, it's at the top of a hill. So I want to say like maybe 15, 20 feet. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not super close, but uh, to just see an eye that is floating randomly above uh, the ground. Kind of a horrifying thing to be close. Absolutely. Jonnet is going to see this. I think you're going to like in a close up shot, you see his eyes sort of like like flex open like, whoa, what the hell? But he's going to try to like very much keep the appearance of looking calm while also processing out there like, oh, I can't. I'm having a hard time comprehending things that were just easy. And um, he's going to kind of like give his foot like a little bit of a like a, a readjustment a little bit of a twist and I'm going he's going to like try to make a wall of earth kind of like shoot up and like be the barrier between 
himself in the eye. Wow. Uh, do I have to roll anything for that? I will instead, uh, this is a familiar spell, and we might yeah. be inventing a new mechanic right here. Why don't you just spend a point of magic? Okay. Um, yeah. And I think that's going to happen. John, it's going to kind of put his back to uh, the the wall that he just created and just, okay, I don't love that. Don't <laughs> love that at all. And it, it yeah. definitely sounds like there is yeah, does that I mean, almost anything? a shouting. It's again those that indistinct voice that is through the water, like just raised its volume or urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what do you do with that? Like, so can I? Is he able to hear or comprehend what's being said at all? You you'll have to roll for that. You'll have to work at it. So decide for me what stat you would want to to do that with. And, uh, uh, I mean. Yeah, I don't really have. Well, I guess we'll we'll real quick. Prowess is not prowess. Really, that's like straight. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, I'll roll intellect, and I just have one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God bless you. No. Hey, uh, you were successful. You got a very lucky roll. Okay. So you try to. Uh, h- how does Jonah try and focus on this? Yeah, I think like. Jana is going to put his back on the on the newly made wall. Don't love that. Kind of like pros, try to like feel out. Do I feel any different? Does this does this help? Um, and then he's going to like kind of drop to one knee, and then like he's going to he's going to start humming to himself, and he's going to like mm-hmm. start like pounding his chest to sort of just like he might he's like the world is. A little harder to understand right now, but I know that I can make this for myself and it it tends to ground me. And so he's going to like try to find his home base from there. Yeah. So you do this. You 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 drop into it, you you find the rhythm. As you work through the rhythm, you like I think this is a, another instance where you are really calling out to the world through your eye and trying to bring your eye into the interpretation of what is happening in your environment and maybe even maybe even you're just using the eye as as a meditative thing to take away the distractions so you can focus on these indistinct sounds and eventually they come a a, a voice comes through if you're gonna have to pound your chest every damn time i want to talk to you this is gonna be a really difficult relationship for us going forward oh and so I think at that the you just see like a a reversal shot of the wall that just went up and then like you see like cracks like immediately shoot up and through it and around it and then it crumbles down and then you see Jonnet turn up and turn around hip and Jonnet to you it is what is hip doing here you are vaguely aware of hip as a person yeah. that you kind of used to know yeah you have no idea that hip is a part technically of the uhuru crew now as he's been with you since the queen's forest you also don't remember the dozen other times that you've encountered him for the first time since Mm. the ship has left the Mm. queen's forest okay okay Mm. he's like hip i i what are you doing here how did you get here from the 
Are you following me, man? Kid, I am really, I'm really trying to be patient with you, but this is difficult. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to have someone follow you around, like, across, like, the world. (laughs) I, I am not following you. We are on the same ship. You're on my ship? Until we get part, uh, back to the mainland, we're part of the same crew. Okay, there is a long and rigorous uh, and and very uh, rigorous process for interviewing. Yeah, uh, well, that's actually a candidates, and you didn't really you didn't go through this. You didn't, I don't remember your headshot. Both show up in an evil woods together and maybe have to escape that situation. Uh, I'm under extenuating circumstances. I'm not overly enthusiastic to call myself a part of the Uhuru crew. Okay, either. that's rude. We're a fantastic crew. Well, we run the skies. You know that. <laughs> what are you doing here, man? I seriously like uh, if are you help, are, if you're here, are you trying to help us dig for Pete? Yeah, I'm trying to help you dig for Pete. And what you're doing right now is foolishness. Is that so? Jonet like like stomps his foot, and in a, in a perfect world, a little rock of Pete would like shoot up out of the ground, and he'd catch it. <laughs> I like <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. All we right. could have you roll for that or whatever. Uh but there's something about it to me a little like I think a little lump of peat just shoots up it's, and it's, keeps going up and it's just <laughs> it's way too strong. It goes up so so high it, mm-hmm. and it's Hang up on. there. Hang on. Hang on. And he's, 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 John has his head like fully like craned up at the sky and he's like step shuffling back and forth. Be like, hang on. I know where, hang on, hang on, hang on. And then like you see it like you see a bird like far off in the distance fly by and then a like rock of peat hits it and explodes into feathers. Uh, that was it. That was it though. That was it though. John Kessler, what is a one ambition that you told me you had? Since you was way little. How do you, when did we talk when I was little? We talked. We talked okay. when you was little. We talked. What's your ambition, John at Kessler? I want to be a captain. You want to be a captain. So, let's look at a furnace for a second. There's a furnace, or, you know, in the Uhuru's case, three furnaces that need to be lit up, heated up. What does a captain do? A tells people to heat it up with fuel. Right. He doesn't jump in there, grab the shovel himself, and dig extra hard for everybody and shovel it all in. He figures out the best way to do it. But I mean, well, yeah, but I have... I have I have something that other people don't have, okay? You don't see anybody else here knocking on rocks? No, I... Hey, I know you're surveying. I know you're surveying, but you you gonna be using that magic, just digging it all up out of the ground? If it's fast, is it gonna be faster for you to dig everything up out of the ground with magic? Or Johnnet Kessler, future captain, is it gonna be faster for you to make it easier for everybody else to dig it up real quick? What's gonna take more effort? I can well, hip, now that I know where it is, I can direct the crew to dig it up post haste. All right. This is this is a this is a a, a good thing for everybody. It, 
I'm not saying the surveying was wrong. That's the right thing. That's absolutely the right thing. All right. I don't think you were going to prepare the land, though. Well, I I wasn't. When you say prepare the land. So Pete is thick. Uh, Pete is like, if you were to stick a shovel into it, it's not that you can't dig it up. Yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. it's denser yeah, than yeah, dirt. Yeah. It's very heavy. Um, what what uh, he is uh, implying okay, okay, okay. is there something like rather than just bubble stuff up out of the earth, which is going to take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. You could burn through all of your magic and get an amount of peat. Or you could probably do an easier spell that makes it easier for everybody else gotcha. to do their jobs and dig it up. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, it's super dense. It's it's uh, it's maybe hard to do. But, you know, what if we shake things up, shake things up, loosen up the peat, and that way when they come through, they got an easy job. And everybody's everybody's uh, takes it light, takes it breezy, and we get our peatsies. That's what a captain does. Since when are you my captain coach? Apparently since now. I don't know what that Oromar Vale has been teaching you, but there's more work to be done here. Hey, the captain teaches me a lot. Yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does too, because I experience it and he teaches me a lot. Uh, I think... The argument, like, between them sort of, like, mixes together, uh, carries on to the wind, and we sweep across the island. We sweep across to Oromar Vale. Mm -hmm. Oromar, you have, at this point, the, the most essential task has been delegated. It is a simple enough task. There is more than enough manpower to get a appreciable amount of peat from a place that should be well stocked like this. Uh, so you have time for a breather on this place that apart from being surrounded by the cursed sea, you know, it is, it is beautiful. So this is a, a, a fairly beautiful place. I just want to know, like when Oromar has room to, to be alone for a minute and to think, what does he do on this place? Hmm. There's, I think we get a nice uh, shot of the port part of the island where the wind has kind of, uh, you know, uh, picked up over the seas and is uh, buffeting the uh, sails and envelope of the Uhuru, is possibly uh, pushing some windmills around for grain, that kind of deal, and uh, whipping up. Uh, Oromar's long braids and long coat as he stares at the at the ship and then back at the settlement we've only really met two people that live here Mm -hmm. Uh, and there might be quarters for more people to be able to stay here but I don't know if it's been established if there are more people currently residing I think there are more people here Um, Mm. I I think the design of this island is towards the center of the island there is this freshwater pond and close enough to that there is like this small cluster of buildings um Mm. that are homes and then branching out in kind of like almost a a floral or or fan pattern from there 
are these stone walls that have been set up that encircle basically the entire island and create dividers between each. And there are sheep herds within each of them. Um, there are systems of gates that that channel things through. And if you were somebody who had a real agricultural view of the world, you would know that these are just uh, ways that like sheep uh, herds of sheep are moving through these areas like a clock, like eating mm. down the grass as it builds up um, place after place, time after time, so that no area gets completely overrun and overeaten and no area grows uh, too wildly out of control. It is a place that looks like it is fairly well set up uh, in harmony uh, with itself. It does appear that that cluster of buildings is farther away from the skyship port. I think this place is small enough that when the Uhuru is landed at the skyship port, you will kind of be able to see the Uhuru almost anywhere you are on the uh, on this island, provided mm. you are at the top of a hill. But it is like large enough that like, you know, it's it's a, a mile across about, you know, that there is plenty of space to move around here um, and house and support a community. Mm. I think what Ramal goes for a walk, we get like um, a 2D shot like he's walking from stage left to stage right across the camera and we see the the scenery kind of pass by like a theater backdrop as he kind of walks past some of these houses i feel with such a little number of people on the island information either travels not at all or immediately depending on whether people are encountered with one another and uh having uh immediately introduced himself uh to the two uh folks waiting at port as Oromar Vale and uh the immediate uh hostile response back. After all, this is Red Feather territory, even though the Red Feathers only really come here once a year and otherwise don't interact. Uh their friends and enemies are well known. Uh mm -hmm. And uh, I think we get as he's like walking past like houses or whatever, uh, there's like somebody who's putting clothing out on a line because it's a windy day. And then Oromar walks past and that person, maybe not stopping what they're doing, but does turn eyes following uh, this interloper. And I, I think a thing that makes this a little bit unnerving is mm. the style of dress that people have here. Um, you know, I, I described uh, that that Laniel and Cerise were, were dressed like almost as conical beings. They have uh, these like heavy wool robes, these pointed wool hoods and hats. Um, so everybody that lives here, like going out, they, they are covered in this wool. The wool does have, you know, a faint green dye in some parts like there there is a woven pattern to it uh but for the most part they are in these like kind of pointed uh uh ghostly ensembles and their faces are mostly beneath like the wide brims of hats or or hoods so you don't see them it is just the darkness uh of where where their faces are shaded uh mm. that follows you 
And I, I don't know if Aura Marvale is the type of person who would greet a, a stranger as he passes them. But if you like, if you tried to interact with them, they have turned away. Uh, mm. The you know, Laniel had had made it clear in a way they don't want to be responsible in any part for aiding the Uhuru mm. because that could that could go hard with this community. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like passed, you know, person after person, like maybe some of uh, the, the the small homes that, that have been set up. Uh, but you have also seen the, again, eerie visage of the shepherds of this place. The shepherds of this place have like th- their clothes are dyed much lighter than everyone else's like like you know most are are white to to gray um these are bleach white uh and i think they have i'm going to say like a little bit of yellow detailing on them yellow and red um they're mm. clearly dyes that are imported from elsewhere uh and they are the this conical thing, like usually in the middle of herds of sheep um, mm-hmm. and dressed up like this. The whole island has the vibe of like a cult, like it feels mm. very culty <laughs> no. just because of how distinct they're they're dressed. It, it probably has more to do with the fact that this is not a very warm place. Uh, it is extremely humid and extremely windy here. Uh, so you just kind of have to be bundled up to be comfortable here. Like, mm-hmm. uh, especially Oromar right now being more sensitive mm-hmm. uh, uh, than than you have been in the past. Like, it's one of those places with, with like a chill that gets through to your bones uh, really quickly. Um, and again... They are these figures, these silent figures that do not interact with you mm-hmm. as you walk past them. Yeah, we get. I don't think they. He decides to exchange words with them, but in instances of like eyes unseen following underneath the the brims of conical woolen hats and Aramar, <laughs> well, you know. The the human sixth sense is a is a weird thing. I wonder if it is actually scientifically proven that you can tell whether you're being stared at. But um he turns back and they turn away the moment that he he he's looking at them. They can never 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 shall their eyes meet in this location, for that would be almost too close to accepting that the Uhuru is present here. Uh it might be better to just pretend that this is Ghosts uh, moving through our small village, and considering that these people have not been seen for quite a while, there's still a chance these might be ghosts who have visited. Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll! Heroes, we are still in the middle of crowdfunding for Skyjack's Courier's Call Season 3. I am proud to report that we have hit our initial funding goal! So you'll be getting a new 15-episode season. 
But the real goal I'm after is at $15,000, because then we double our 15-episode season to give you 30 new episodes of Skyjack's Courier's Call. If you haven't backed this project yet, head out right now to bit.ly slash season 3 Follow the link in our show notes or head to Kickstarter and search for Skyjack's Courier's Call to support it right now. Heroes, I am so glad so many of you are enjoying my newest publishing project, the Ultimate RPG Campfire Card Deck, a tool designed to make it fun and easy to develop relationships between characters at your gaming table. If you already have a copy and you like it, I could use your help with something. I am trying to hit 50 reviews on the Amazon page for this product because my publisher really cares about that metric. You're able to leave a review whether you purchased a copy on Amazon or not. And I would sincerely appreciate folks leaving reviews because when my publisher is happy with how my products are doing, it is so much easier to pitch them new projects. To leave a review, just head to bit.ly slash campfirerpg and leave a rating. As always, a huge thank you to our backers on Patreon. Folks, our Patreon has been instrumental in everything that we've done with Skyjacks recently. Putting together our new season of Courier's Call, getting Nathan and Tyler to Gen Con, and of course continuing to develop Skyjoust. But of course, that Patreon also helps us bring you the episode that you're listening to right now. So if you like Skyjacks and you want to see more of it, please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to be a supporter. Even just a small amount from you makes a huge difference to us. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I believe like you reach the the bottom of a valley, but between Mm -hmm. two of these grassy hills and like, you know, you, you turned to look at, uh, w- one of the shepherds and they, they again like turned away and as you turned back to the kind of path that you were walking at the top of the next hill is the person that you spoke to when you landed Laniel. He stands there with his beautiful light wood shepherd's crook in a green yellow and red dyed wool cloak that he knows mostly white but with those green yellow and uh, red accents there is this brilliant green eye that is woven into the pattern on the chest of his cloak and he just stands in front of you again his face is shaded by the unusual dress uh, that is common for folk here but you can tell that he is looking towards you and in the way that he is looking towards you it is a way that entreats conversation. Mm-hmm. Laniel. Mr. Vale. A marvelous. I was wondering if I would ever be spoken to again. Folk here are cautious and don't make a habit of speech much. Hmm. When you are, 
perpetually surrounded by danger, we hear the roar of the ocean in the background. I can understand why you would want to remain vigilant. Laniel, like, he gestures, but in a way that looks like it is not gesturing. He simply moves his crook in a direction that points off to a herd of sheep. He indicates to them, even here, they still travel in herds. There are no predators here, apart from the occasional griffin, but most of the hunting griffins that'll fly over here after things in the sea and won't trouble themselves with the sheep. But still, they stay together because their blood remembers being spilled by claws and teeth. An ancestral trauma. Funnily enough, I know the feeling. Actually, you mentioned it has been a while since the Red Feathers uh, stopped in port for supplies and trade, but... A few months, to be sure. I wonder. I'm sure you treated them with uh, the hospitality that is becoming to your folk, but how did they treat you? He shrugs. They have their demands, and we have our supplies. We are dependent on them and have to accept almost whatever deal is offered to us. Have to. Have to. Hmm. There's not much of a choice. No one can leave this place lest it is on the back of a red feather ship. No one can come to this place unless it is from a red feather ship. Well, uh, we're in the valley right now, so we can't look over to the Uhuru, but, well, we both know that that is not strictly true. As much as they deserve, <laughs> as much as they demand service with a smile, uh, you tend to find with time and age that um, have to can sometimes become a bit more optional than one might think. I, perhaps, perhaps there'll be some young folk who might want to take you up on that offer. The thing to remember, though, this place, there are no predators here. The only danger here to the sheep is the shepherd. He watches over them. He looks after them in case they take ill, he makes sure each birth passes as easy as it can. He shears them each season so they are not too hot when it is hot. And of course, because of the strangeness of the way the seasons flow these days, he also has enclosures for when things are too cool. The shepherd cares for the sheep, but he also spills their blood. The only creature that slaughters a sheep round these parts is the shepherd. Yet the sheep still look to him. Why do you think that is, Mr. Vale? Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, instilled instincts of the sheep <laughs> does not provide them with the means for a more delicate negotiation with their shepherd. 
I wouldn't call you sheep, though, nor are we wolves. And I think Oromar offers a genuine smile, and maybe we roll some dice about it, but mm-hmm. I think his his mastery over expression, although maybe more natural and more impulsive than before, I think there is the potential for this smile to be wolf-like, even if he does not intend. Mm. I, uh, yeah. I would love to to roll some some dice over this. I I, I do think this is a low stakes roll, and this sure. is a low stakes. And I'm I'm going to make this hard because you are one of the most notorious pirates in the world, mm-hmm. trying to convince yeah. uh, somebody who has never met you that All you right. are not a threat. You you always have, when when the wolf shows up to your house and says, "Hey, I'm not a wolf," and smiles, you believe them. That's normal. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it's just a so. Nice uh, I assume that would be a presence role here. Yeah, that uh, that presence, so especially is, since you described doing it with a smile. I think it is presence mm-hmm. there. Though you could potentially accomplish this, you know, with intellect or something. Nah, I think this is presence better than it used to be considering would be much worse if he was dead um it's it's an eight which uh is two diamonds so i do believe that's two d8 yes yes i don't think i'll make any modifiers to this though i'm happy to roll that flat all right and tell me your results okay i was i was i was gonna not to interrupt say oh am i rolling or are you um because i only have regular d8s not fancy ones yeah i could i could roll the fancy no it's fine i'm happy to roll mine and we can we can math it out together i do believe Mm -hmm. you have a document i have not summoned to the document i'm very sorry um (laughs) summoned the document. oh and also just so just so we're aware as players or a mark potentially could have also rolled this with reputation too Mm. that is that is another option just, do we're learning this game. We're all it. learning this together. But as we I, I, I think. I think presence is. He's trying presence. to be charming rather than kind yeah. of like you know my history. Um, mm-hmm. That is a one and a three, which might be terrible. <laughs> Looking at these results, uh, no, that's actually good. That's okay. actually really good. You do have three complications uh, as the the result of this, but you do succeed. Mm. So we we get a we are not wolves, Laniel, and he smiles, and there is maybe it's the color grading, just an accent on the incisors of his smile, but it doesn't feel feral, just acute. I can tell you think you believe that. Let me make this clear: the red feathers are shepherds. I wouldn't call them particularly good shepherds. You're not wolves either. The only wolf that passes round these parts is the mariner. And the red feathers do, to their credit, keep them away. The wool is worth enough for that, at least. Wool and, and the peat as well. You would be another herd, Oromar Vale. At least your Uhuru crew would. And you'd be their shepherd. And I've no doubt you care for your herd. When they take ill, you treat them. You lead them to 
pastures that are more lush, where they can fill their bellies. You make sure all the trials of life can be faced as easily as possible. But you do slaughter them as well. I don't suppose you're familiar with beekeeping, Laniel. Round here, afraid not. There's honey that we get as import, but uh, not much to pollinate on this island. Then let me offer a different metaphor, and uh, forgive me if you deem it belabored. I like to think as my relationship with the Uhuru as uh, a hive and a queen. There is one queen that helps look after the hive and delegates orders to make sure that the community operate a happy and healthy life. But there are species of bees where, if they are collectively dissatisfied with their queen, they're perfectly capable of eating her and replacing her. Is that how you see yourself now, Oromarvale? The thing is, I don't think I'm especially easy to digest, but I think I would uh, bow down and offer my hat to somebody who was bold enough to try. Looking at you, looking over you, I'm not so sure. Would you mind if I offered you a story of me home? I do believe my bees are busy with work currently, so I have the time. Unlike unlike Nathan Blades, who would probably not sit on a patch of grass for it being muddy, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can be prissy at the best of times, I will admit that. But uh, I think Oromar is maybe more uh, willing to just sit down on the grass, muddiness be damned. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think joining Laniel on the top of the hill, like sitting in the valley, that's probably going to be muddy, gross grass. Mm -hmm. um, but towards the top of the hill, it'll probably be better. And towards the top of the hill, there's more chance at bedrock. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of there being like an idyllic place for a shepherd who is watching over the, the sheep to sit and, and have a good vantage on all of them. You find... You find rocks up there. You can still see the sea stretching out all around the island. You can see far in the distance the, the Uhuru. You can see the herds of sheep. And it is a relatively clean and peaceful place that you can sit together. Um, the light that is right now shining down on the island from the clouds is like narrowing a bit as, as more gray clouds uh, gather overhead. But it is not too cold. It is pleasant. And as you take your seat, you can see from the robes that he wears, he pulls out a book uh, that is made of vellum. Vellum, uh, for those who don't know, is like kind of a paper substitute uh, that is made with lambskin that is like a cut very thin. So as a book experience, it is decadent, mm -hmm. but it's probably like one of the only real writing opportunities they have here. The book appears mostly handwritten, uh, and it appears that it is written in the language of the church, uh, 
for most of uh, the the church or the most popular part of the church, the the uh, that falls under the coro vox. Um, people get read services in uh, the the common tongues, mm-hmm. like whatever the local language is. However, for uh, the il teste vox or the vox which I can't read the, the animus Vox that treats like the regions that are farther out on, on the ring of the rediscovered world. And uh, the one that is in the city that holds the church's core library, it is only uh, all, all of the books and all of the materials are only written in the language uh, of the old church, which mm-hmm. is, as we know, derived from the language of angels mm-hmm. um so there are a lot of symbols that that have a feather-like appearance to them have have eye-like appearances but the cover of this book is marked with the symbol of the church of the slain god and laniel says a reading from the book of origins before the words there was darkness That was not darkness, for it had never known light. In the darkness there was the speaker who would be the sovereign. The first words the sovereign spoke became light. Then the sovereign spoke the firmament so that the light might have a place to rest. And that light found sphere. And the sovereign beheld that it was still. He spoke the sky and the land and the sea And he found beauty in these things and blessed them with a piece of his firmament. And in time, his light called them to move. The sovereign watched the world turn. Day passed to night, year passed to year, and in time, light became life. It crawled from the seas, for under his light, even the most wretched thing begets beauty. And when the sea became full, life spread to cover the lands. And when the soil became thick and lush, life reached from the ground towards the sovereign's light itself, eventually growing wings to take flight. The sovereign saw that it was right to keep life of sphere separate from the eternity of the firmament. So he blessed sphere with death so that all things would wither before they could reach his throne. The sea, the land, the sky began the cycle of birth, growth, decay, and death. The sovereign spoke the wheel so that sphere might move in turn with life and light that filled it up. And so there was spring, summer, fall, and winter. The sovereign saw life, But it did not see him. It only knew the dim, radiant sphere reflected of his firmament. Not gratitude, not reverence. The sovereign saw the glory wrought by his words and his will and knew that he must be seen. So he plucked an eye from his own body and placed it in the darkness behind the eyes of the creatures of the land. And in time, It grew and spread until there was life cast in the Sovereign's image, which was humankind. They opened the light behind their eyes and beheld the glory of heaven. The Sovereign plucked another eye and forged it into the firmament itself, 
and this became his crown. Tempered with the sea, the land, and the sky, so that all of Sphere would behold his light, his glory, and know which direction to kneel. When it was finished, the sovereign bade the bearer of his light to crown himself, and he became he who sits upon the throne, light above light, sovereign most high. Thank you for the reading. Why do men look to you, Oromar Vale? Mm. And why do you want them to look to you? Uh, Oromar gives, I think, a breezier smile. He quite enjoyed the reading, actually, and it was a beautiful location to be read to. I don't think that's actually something he's had to experience uh, mm. in a very long time. The idea of storytelling when one's is fighting for their lives is something that doesn't come up very often. Hmm. I find that what motivates me to continue having the crew of the Uhuru is to give those I meet a chance for their own definition of freedom. The page turns to an entry one year later. I found other feathers today, inside. The stories all talk of angels and their wings, how the wings were taken from them when the Sovereign cast them down. We imagine it to be as if they were shorn off, kept whole, secreted away somewhere. Mm, but not at all. Have you ever seen a bird struck by gunfire? Not a griffin, but one of the smaller nesting birds. They don't come apart neatly. They explode, feathers, blood, all tossed into the air. That was the fate of the fallen, I imagine. Their precious feathers just scattered across the whole of Spear. Some, it seems have been able to gather them, reabsorb, just as I absorbed the one in my father's shop. And now I know how to remove them. More importantly, I found a way to hide them. A few of them, anyway. He wants the rest. When I had removed enough, he appeared. Wings full, in glory, in power, first of his words, the light upon the empty throne. The book calls him the Morning Star. He saw my collection and demanded. No, he never demands. He never has to. He just has to be him. No being shines as brightly, 
He asked, and I gave. Most of them. All but two. Those I'm saving. I can see the connections. He didn't come down until so many had been removed. Once enough was carved away, he could sense it somehow. See the fallen thing. Which leaves the possibility that the inverse must be true. And if that is the case, saving them is only prudent. Eyes to hide from prying eyes. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Do you love Star Wars but kind of wish you didn't? Then join us on the Expounded Universe podcast as we read through all the old Star Wars novels that took the galaxy far, far away that you know and love and turned it into a place where Han Solo can punch a giant otter and Luke Skywalker almost gets eaten by a giant gold-plated pillar of Dinty Moore beef stew. Did you like Princess Leia? Well, too bad! Now she's a space racist! Don't believe me? You'll just have to listen to find out on Expounded Universe. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Tyler is on strike alongside his fellow members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. You can support Tyler and other striking artists by contributing to the Entertainment Community Fund, linked in our show notes. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Pair. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT, or streaming at twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him over on Twitter at Arnie Parrott or on his website, ATP Tunes. This episode was edited by Allie Grauer, who can be found on Twitter at Dreams to Become, or on her podcast, Skyjack's Courier's Call. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Lunarum. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show was made in part by using a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals. There are no kings. Take flight. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky